In open world video games, do you like to play the bad guy? Does your character do things that you'd never, ever do in real life? Or are you the type who, no matter what, you can't bring yourself to choose the dialogue prompt where your character says something mean? Whether you want to be naughty or nice in-game, have you ever stopped to think about what that says about you? In today's episode of Spiritual AF Sundays, Jay Rooney, creator of the Game and Words Substack and Podcast, joins us to discuss the intersection between morality and gaming. We look at why people are drawn to games where their actions have real consequences on the setting. Jay also provides guidance for those who are caught up in whatever game-related drama is going on. It's time to grab your favorite beverage, sit in your favorite chair, and get ready for this week's episode of Spiritual AF Sundays, Gaming and Consequences, where fantasy and reality collide, with guest Jay Rooney. You're listening to Spiritual AF Sundays, created and hosted by The Mystic Geek. If you're looking to explore intriguing questions about the meaning of life and our place in the universe, then you're in the right spot. We dive into topics often discussed as sound bites on social media and take a deeper look, whether it's woo topics like astrology and mysticism, or seemingly mundane matters like technology and politics, we cover it all. We explore our own thoughts and beliefs, talk to experts, and uncover hidden meanings. These fascinating areas of exploration can help us question ourselves and better understand our world. Ready to grow and explore in your spiritual journey? We're glad you can join us. It's time to start your week off by being spiritual AF. And welcome back, listeners. We have Jay Rooney here with us to talk about video games, morality, and anything else that comes up in this interesting and slightly unconventional yet still spiritual-ish topic. Glad to have you here, Jay. Thanks for having me, Jess. What is your background when it comes to video games? I have been a lifelong gamer. In fact, my earliest memory, like literally the first thing I remember was when I was four years old, it was either for the holidays or for my birthday. Can't remember that specific detail, but I do remember unwrapping a brand new NES or Nintendo Entertainment System. It was 1989, I was four years old, and the rest, as they say, is history. Since then, I've owned pretty much every console that there is to be. I did some PC gaming, do that on and off as well. I just love games, and not just video games too, tabletop games as well. I'm also a writer, and that's also something I've been for most of my life. Since I could pick up a pencil, basically, I love to write. And I've been writing professionally for well over two decades now. I figured, well, why not combine these two things that I love to do more than anything and just have this big, like, work slash play all of awesomeness? So I did. I launched a gaming publication and companion podcast called Game and Work where I explore the intersection of video games and the arts, the sciences, and the humanities. So we're talking things like literature, history, economics, psychology, philosophy, spirituality, for that matter. Just launched a new 
volume with a very big emphasis on spiritual life and the spiritual path. There's surprisingly a lot to talk about in a podcast like this, and I'm excited to get into it. Wow, you mentioned the NES. That takes me back to my childhood as well. And I remember, I'm not sure some of our listeners are probably wondering like, what the big deal is it? The cartridges had those metal. I'm not sure if it was gold or copper on it. And you literally had to blow into it in order yeah. to get all the dust out. Or you had to use a Q-tip if you were really daring right. in order to wipe out any dust because otherwise it all got messed up. I saw this meme on Reddit. It was that meme of the Joker in the subway just like staring at this idiot saying, I can't run my games at 30 frames per second. And then the Joker guys like me who grew up on the NES and SNES. <laughs> And you always had to have your television on channel three. Yes. Oh my gosh, the nostalgia there. All right. What we're talking about today is morality choices and morality-based gaming. What has been your experience with morality-based games? Well, in my experience, they're some of the most compelling games that I've ever played. It is a really effective way to get the player invested in the story at the game. A lot of people think, oh, just have them choose yes or no, and then the same thing happens anyway, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about games in which your choices actually have meaningful consequences, either right away or down the line, right? A lot of video games getting flagged for being violent, right? So in a morality choice game, you could kill that guy on the street, but then uh, the cops are going to come after you real quick you're gonna wish oh maybe i should have been a little nicer to that guy so we're defining morality not just is what they're doing good or bad but also examining well your actions have consequences Mm -hmm. totally what would you say your favorite morality based game is oh that's a tough one i'll do a top three how about that i would say in no particular order telltale's the walking dead was a really good morality choice-based game because even though it ended the same no matter what you chose the story unfolded differently if you helped a character way back when chapter two when it seemed like a really risky thing to do then in chapter five they end up saving your neck stuff like that right Mm -hmm. another more recent one is disco elysium which is an rpg it's a role-playing game set in this facsimile mishmash of somewhere in like former communist Eastern Europe is what I got. You play this really broken, troubled, alcoholic cop who's trying to investigate a murder, but doesn't really remember anything. The amnesia works really well because then as you play, you slowly start to construct a blueprint of this guy's morality because there are many choices, both big choices and small choices that will affect how your character develops, how their consciousness develops. And that has gameplay implications. If you're more willing to play dirty, right? That say it'll be easier for you to swipe something Mm -hmm. that you're not supposed to. The morality system is deeply intertwined in that game. If anyone out here is interested in both games and morality, I think that is a must play because it is pretty raw and unflinching. It can be pretty heavy sometimes. It's the best 
implementation of a morality system in a game so far. But I think if I had to pick like a top kahuna or whatever it is, I'd probably be Grand Theft Auto. Oh, yeah. Mostly because it's the most notorious and the most misunderstood. Why do you think it's the most misunderstood? Whenever you see a news article on Grand Theft Auto, it's always about, oh, look, you can kill hookers. What is this game? Ban it immediately. Sure, yes, you can, but you don't have to. The -hmm. game doesn't make you do it at any point. Played through all the story missions and the side quests. Never had to kill a sex worker. Ever. Yeah. Yeah, I was talking to a guy on Reddit recently, and he was telling me how he would let his five-year-old daughter play Grand Theft Auto. Now, Mm -hmm. taking it at face value, you probably think, what is this guy, nuts? I have a five-year-old, and there's the way in hell I let Mm -hmm. her play that. But then he elaborated, his daughter plays, she's just driving around a fire engine and putting out fires. Then when the kid's asleep, the dad logs out and he goes a full sandbox and just lets loose there. I really like that story because it really illustrates, A, just how basic the conversations we're having about video games generally are. And B, how there's so much more to video games that a lot of people aren't even aware of. And that's part of my mission with my publication and my podcast is to highlight that other side of video games to a wider audience. That reminds me of my own experience with Grand Theft Auto V. I was not into the gunfights. I found what were essentially fetch quests in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just... Yeah, you know, like jump. the taxi missions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The taxi missions and stuff. So there is this broad spectrum in games that even when people think that they are violent-based, this is not Call of Duty where that's what you're there to do. It's a lot right. more open world there. Now, you brought up something as we were talking about that that I think is important to explore, people's reactions. There tends to be this oversimplification when it comes to these morality-based video games, especially if they're pretty close to what I would say real life, modern day reality sort of deal, like the Grand Theft Auto series, exactly, where there is the possibility of making an immoral choice and people are up in arms on that. What are your thoughts about people having the ability in a fantasy world to basically do whatever they want, even if the analog in the real world is either A, immoral or B, illegal? In Grand Theft Auto, this is a game that very much holds a mirror up to America and says, look at how messed up you are. Society generally doesn't appreciate that just period, right? But now you have a game where you can take a gun and shoot up a bunch of people. And we live in a time where that's always a distinct possibility of that happening at any given moment, at any given time, combined with a complete unwillingness to really examine why things are the way they are. So Grand Theft Auto, being the visual depiction of it, comes a very easy scapegoat. I can't even tell you how many panels, presentations, podcasts that I go with live Q&As. I could set my watch to the amount of time that elapses between when I finish giving my remarks and I get the first question on violence in video games. Because it's almost always the first question. 
I could set my watch to it. Things have not changed in decades. Nope. And it's very frustrating. I remember back in the 80s, there was even the scare when it came to Dungeons and Dragons. It was the same freaking thing of the satanic panic. Just this whole messaging that if you're exposed to violent media, you're going to be violent. Now, granted, it can desensitize you, but so can life. So can watching the news and the constant wars or violence. Or I've lost track of how many mass shootings there have been in the United States. I mean, there is so much violence around us. We don't need video games to desensitize us. Thank you. And that's what I try to tell people, too. The reason there are violent video games is because we live in a violent society. We live in a culture that fetishizes violence and guns as a means to solve disputes or solve your problems. Oh, yeah. And until that changes, guess what? There's always going to be violent video games. There's always going to be violent movies. There's always going to be violent what have yous, right? Comic books, whatever, right? So blaming video games is not going to do anything. Actually, it's worse than doing nothing because it just contributes to the further stigmatization of a hobby that millions enjoy, but are still very much looked down on for another part of my mission to, to change that. Yeah. And with video games or any other type of media, they're a reflection of current culture. Mm-hmm. They can sometimes influence and drive it, but I feel especially with video games, it's more of an interactive commentary yes. than necessarily proactive propaganda to push various things. And Grand Theft Auto is yeah. a perfect example. Exactly. There's other games that are out there as well that are morality-based. Bioshock, Vampire, yep. or Vampire with a Y. What I've found about those types of games when it comes to the moral choices is if you make the moral choice, the gameplay is harder. Like with Bioshock being you have to go and rescue these girls that have become these little radioactive power generators. If you save them, you get a certain amount of resources. But if you harvest from them, which is lethal to the innocent child, then you get a lot more resources or vampire, where when you're feeding as a vampire, but you don't kill the individual, you get a small amount of resources. But if you do, you get a larger amount. Mm-hmm. What do you think that type of gameplay says about society since we're looking at this as this is a reflection of the real world. I think it goes even deeper than a society level commentary. Doing the right thing has never been easy. I am not an anthropologist, but I'd be willing to put my neck out on the line and say that this was probably still the case when we were hunter gatherers. Humans are hardwired to be violent and competitive and might makes right. And the whole incel alpha male BS, it goes further than even it being a societal question. I think it's something we have to reckon with on a biological level, even, or neurological, psychological, maybe not an expert in those fields. But yeah, doing the right thing is almost never fun. Everyone likes to say, oh, of course I would do the right thing. Of course I would do the right thing. It's easy to say things like that from the sidelines, right? But More often than not, no, you're doing the right thing usually sucks. It could cost you friendships, jobs, reputation, 
whistleblowers, right? You know, and they risk their careers and their reputation just hoping that the wider public will take the truth that they're bringing out seriously. And it doesn't always work out that way. If you're in that position and you have a family that's counting on your Theranos paycheck and there's all this shady stuff going down and you feel like you should come out, but then if you do, then your children don't eat. What do you do? It takes a lot of courage to do the right thing. Yes. So Theranos was a Silicon Valley biotech startup that claimed to have these miracle machines that could diagnose anything with just a drop of blood. Turned out it was a total scam. Everyone knew it, but the CEO, Elizabeth Holmes, and her husband, who's also the co-CEO, kept such an iron grip on the workplace culture that it was like almost cold light in how much control they exerted. So finally, a few people came out, but it was at great personal cost. You know, one of the whistleblowers, granddad was on the board and his grandfather disowned him for blowing the whistle. He's since come to his senses, but imagine risking that. The thing about getting less resources is a reflection of that is just reflected in the game design, right? The fact that the right path is usually much rockier than the more selfish path. Right. Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. Video games all huge debt to D&D. The fact that there is that pressure is a very interesting kind of snapshot into the human tendency to anthropomorphize everything, right? The video game characters that you're like steamrolling when you're playing an evil character are a series of zeros and ones behind the monitor, right? They're not actually sentient, not yet anyway, but as of right now, as of 2023, when we're recording this, they're not sentient. They don't actually feel pain. They don't really care if you inflict whatever on them, or then they don't care if you turn the console off too, and they'll die. Games can actually be very useful from a therapeutic standpoint in that it can be a safe place to engage with your own shadow in a way that won't get you arrested or killed or give you nightmares for the rest of your life. Now, of course, it should be entirely up to the player, right? That's Point number one, right? For me personally, I don't play the evil character, but that's just me. I know plenty of people who are wonderful people, but they do. And that's their way of facing their shadow, as the late, great St. Carl Jung would have put it. 
And for those who aren't familiar, the shadow is that part of yourself that you tend to stuff and put away. So for instance, if you're cut off in traffic, you don't go open the door, pull out a gun and start shooting people out of anger. You might not even go and honk the horn and flip the bird. You might bottle those feelings inside because you realize that in society, those things are bad. Yeah. So this is that safer outlet for people versus doing those things that are not seen as socially acceptable. So I wanted to plug that in there for listeners who are like, what are they talking about with the shadow? If you want to learn more about the shadow, Game and Word, Volume 3, all about young and psychology and video games. Yes, and I'm glad that programs are programs, and we are not living in a world where the story of Tron... Right, or Westworld. Or Westworld, because otherwise, it's like the video game characters or the interactive characters are the ones who now control us. Yeah. There's something very poetic about that. Yeah, very much. And it's also creepy, too. Very creepy, yes. It's a scary poem. Oh, yeah, very much. You mentioned that you know a lot of good people who will let things out by playing the darker characters. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that this is a healthy outlet for people versus other options that are out there for them to vent their frustration, anger, or basically escape life in general? My kind of view is whatever works for the person, right? Some people will hit a pillow. Some people mm-hmm. journal. Some people jog. And some people play Grand Theft Auto sandbox load. <laughs> Grand Theft Auto, Fallout, whatever games are out there yes. where you're venting your frustration. Yes. One of the things that the gaming industry, much like other industries out there, cannot escape from is media hype and criticism, especially when it comes to what people play. We've already mentioned Grand Theft Auto, and there's other games out there that there's criticism either because of the gameplay because of the creators, or a mix of both. How would you talk to those who are looking for ways to respond to the criticism themselves? So not necessarily the critics, but the people who want to play. What advice would you have for them on how to handle basically the haters beyond put them on block? So are we talking about potential gamers or developers? Let's start with gamers and then let's go into developers. If you are a gamer and a game interests you, and it's currently in the middle of some intense media storm for whatever reason, I would suggest clicking off of Google News, just close that tab, log off Twitter, go to Metacritic or OpenCritic. So it's metacritic.com and opencritic.com and search for the game that you're interested in and see what the reviews say. These will be publications that will have gotten review copies in advance and Uh these are planned way out in advance before any controversy blew up right so Uh look at the score and you can get a general idea to score from zero to a hundred of how good the game actually is as a game right irrespective of anything else that's attached to it if you want more detailed information you know they always link to the reviews in the score page as well that's probably your best bet. Just about the worst thing you can do when you're trying to suss out if I should play this or not, and there's like the media circus going on, is Twitter. That's like the single worst place you can, you could go to to make that determination. You said Metacritic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say go with them. 
I've seen some companies that do gaming reviews or gaming-based news, which will say, we're not going to critique this game based on itself. We're going to critique it based on its controversy. Based on your own internal moral choices, you may not want to play that game, but sometimes you may still want to play it. And you should not feel pressured by others to not. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That and Steam has privacy modes. <laughs> it also helps. Yes, which I should probably enable. So what about developers? What about developers who are interested in working on a game or working on a franchise where they look at the situation, they may be a little bit more social media or politics savvy and say, you know, this might get interesting if mm. I get involved with this. What advice do you have for them? I think a more likely situation would be a development team's been working on a game like forever and ever. Game launches and then suddenly your DMs are getting inundated with death threats. People are review bombing the game on Steam. You're getting the nastiest messages on social media and you're wondering what is going on here. That is a problem. Mm -hmm. That's an ordeal I wouldn't wish on anyone. Death threats. Death threats are really a thing. Oh my gosh. Over a yes. game? For a game, yes. That's wild. Uh, people need to go outside and touch grass more. I think the term is now chronically online. Yeah. So they actually, need to stop being chronically online. It's a similar deal. Your reality has been warped by your one all-consuming activity that when there's some sort of collision with the real world, it's like your brain can no longer compute or something. Or, you know. There's a couple of really good books that actually explore in a bit more depth the kind of psychology behind this phenomenon of toxicity and, and gaming communities. One is Getting Gamers, and the other is Lost in a Good Game. So they go into more technical detail, but basically, if you're a developer going through this, the best thing you can do is log off entirely for a few days. It'll blow over eventually. You know, the outrage mob's going to find something else to get mad about in a few days. And soon you'll be old news. So if you can log off for a few days, then great. If you can't, then self-care, a lot of self-care. Try and focus on the positive mm -hmm. feedback as much as you can. Mm -hmm. Whenever something generates a lot of negative feedback, it'll also generate a lot of positive feedback, whether it's a reaction to the wave of negative feedback or because they actually genuinely like the game. If you have to be on Twitter, what I, those are the ones that you should be like focusing on and not the, not the nastier stuff. To see a therapist if you have to, there's no shame in it. So take care of yourself, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do tabletop oh, role-playing game writing. Um, but yeah, it's the, the social media reaction yeah. tends to be pretty intense. And then it's remembering too that it will pass is a very important aspect of it. And also recognizing that unless you're caught with your pants down or you're the one who did something really scandalous, all news is good news or all feedback and popularity is good popularity, even if it was icky at that time. Um, have that anti-hype or the like the the people really getting out you'll have people draw like going what's on here and then all of a sudden you're you're building more fans from it 
either to spite the people who are having outrage or because they weren't aware. I probably should be saying this because I write about games for a living, but I did not know that a certain open world game about magic was about to drop until I heard about all the drama. Usually those games set in that universe don't tend to be very good as games, so I usually ignore them. But then I look deeper at this one. I'm like, oh, actually, this looks really good. I might actually give it a spin. And I am. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of fun. Right. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about video games here. So it feels like we've gotten to a good endpoint on this one. Uh, Is there anything else? First of all, subscribe to my newsletter and my podcast. It's at uh, gameandword.substack.com. It's fun. It's free. And it's weekly. So every week you'll get either a nice long form essay or a podcast episode that dives into all these things that you may not have known about video games. And you don't have to be a gamer to enjoy it. If anything, it's like the games are almost more like a Trojan horse mm-hmm. than anything. Just the starting point. And then we dive deep and learn a lot of fascinating things like you've done like everything from like pirates to psychology to the nature of time this series i just launched mm-hmm. at the end of february's on video games magic and that's <laughs> what i'm personally really excited for i'm on twitter at gaming word but i haven't been active since the takeover so substack is the way to find me and i'm happy to talk games with you second if you're curious about games, it's never been a better time to, to get into them. We all have a very capable gaming device in each of our pockets. And not all the games are gotcha, candy crush type glorified slot machines. There actually are some good ones. If you're on iOS, check out Apple Arcade. That's a good way to dip your toes into gaming. There are many games out there where you don't have to be proficient with a controller. You don't have to have lightning quick reflexes. There are so many games that are really more like stories, like interactive stories, right? And in that sense, very similar to a movie, but better because you're actually in the movie. And that adds a whole new dimension to the way you experience a story. You can play the story again and again and have different plots and potentially different outcomes depending on what you do, which is amazing. Back when I first started with the NES or heck, even the Atari, but before that, it's games are very linear yeah. and now they're a lot more interactive. Beyond Substack, where else can people find you online? I'll give you my link tree. That's probably the easiest one. I have a Mastodon account, but I haven't figured out how to use it yet. Oh, yeah. I'm on my link tree. Play my game. The game that I wrote the story for, Tavern Simulator. It's a lot of fun. My email will be on there, but it's simple. Gameinword at substack.com. You can always reach me there. And again, you could try to DM me on Twitter at Gameinword. Just I may not get back to you right away. Thank you so much for taking part in this conversation and <laughs> for this opportunity to geek out about games and morality. This is one of the interviews that I was looking forward to. Yeah, totally. It's, it's always fun to, to nerd out. Absolutely. So yeah, thank you for having me. This is a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that conversation, including the advice for those of us who end up getting caught in the middle of a social media publicity whirlwind. I feel that most creatives, regardless of industry, have those moments. To close that chapter, let's look at what's coming up over the next few weeks. Next Sunday, June 11th, we bring on Dawn Katie to not only discuss the concept of channeling spirit messages, 
but to provide a demonstration of that gift. The following Sunday, June 18th, we're going to bring on... Oh, right. I'm talking about the Wheel of the Year again. This time we're discussing Midsummer, aka Litha, aka the Summer Solstice. It's time to wrap up this week's episode. Remember that play was one of the first ways that we learned how to navigate the world around us. Use the safe space of play to give your mind the chance to wander and to ponder different perspectives or to just let loose because you need that outlet. With that, have a spiritual AF week. Thank you for joining us for Spiritual AF Sundays. This show is hosted by the Mystic Geek, that's me. Got comments or questions from today's episode? You can either email me at jess at themysticgeek.com or send me a voice message at speakpipe.com slash themysticgeek. Don't worry, I'll put the link in the show notes. Help others start off their week with a Spiritual AF Sunday by sharing this episode with them. Also, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts help spiritual seekers find our show. So do the thing. 